Praise Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll be there in just a second. Ephesians chapter 3. We've been in a series of teaching about how to overcome sin. And if you remember, uh, what we've said is, first of all, that sin is not just a direct act of rebellion. It is that. But it's also just when we live at a level that's less than what God has called us to be. You'll remember it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. So how many of you have ever missed the mark? So, <laughs> hallelujah. Thank God for, oh, precious is the flow. And it really does make us whiter than snow. And, and the, the deal is, is, is how do we walk, though, in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us? Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and I've, I've known, I don't remember giving my life to Jesus. I mean, I can remember praying the sinner's prayer, but I did that probably a bunch of times. And uh, I think I was probably saved when I was really, really little, and I don't remember it. So all of my best sinning I have done post-conversion. <laughs> For real, right? <laughs> and, and so what do you do about that, and how do you walk free from sin? As a, as a Christian. And these principles, they can help you not only uh, overcome you know, rebellion and things like that, but also just things where we struggle with anxiety or depression or fear or something else where we're, we're not walking in victory. How many of you want to walk in victory? Yeah. So these things can help you. We've talked for two weeks about one principle, which is simply that your old man is dead, really is dead. The song really is true. You really are whiter than snow. You were born with a problem. We're, we're born in sin. We're, we're not perfect when we're born. We have problems. But thank God Jesus really did make us a new creation. And I've argued at length that we don't have two natures. It's not like you have two dogs on the inside of you, a good dog and a bad dog, and you try to feed the good dog and, and, and starve the bad one. That's dualism. Your, your sin nature is dead once and for all. Thank God. Now, if you want to know why you still struggle with sin, we talked about that last week. The message will be up on the website shortly. Righteousness, peace, and joy are normal for believers. Amen. If you accept all that stuff that I've been saying the last two weeks, there are two common uh, arguments against what I've said. One of them is, what about Romans 7? Because in Romans 7, Paul says a bunch of stuff about, he says, well... There's a bunch of stuff that I don't want to do, and I'm incapable of doing that. And all the bad stuff that I do want to do, I end up doing that. And who will save me from the body of this death? And many Christians look at that portion of Scripture. I used to and, and believe that that describes the normal Christian life. When I was a teenager, we'd sing this song, Oh, I'm into everything I hate. And it's really you know, discouraging because it seems like you can't ever make any real progress or overcome any sort of sin. Now, I don't think that we ever reach perfection, but you can certainly expect to make real progress and live more and more for Jesus every day and every year. I haven't arrived, but I've left. Everybody say progress. progress. So you can make real progress. I discussed at length why Romans 7 isn't talking about the normal Christian life in this message I did in the New Reformation. So if you want, I, I gave you the link there on your notes. It's on our website. You can go back and 
read it, but the short answer is that when Paul was doing that, he was talking, he's talking in present tense, but he's using something in literary circles which we call historic present tense. Everybody say historic, historic present, tense. present tense. This is when you talk about something in the past as though it's currently happening. Why would you do that? To make it more immediate and make it more exciting. For example, I can tell you a story about when I was uh, 18, I worked for a day and a half at a Mexican restaurant. I was a Mexican restaurant employee. When I was there, so I'm talking in past tense, but if I wanted to, I could shift over and I could say, there was a day that I went to work there and I'm in this restaurant. And at the end of the night, this man comes to me and he says, we've got to clean up this mess because throughout the day, they're just taking anything that's messed up and throwing it on the floor because that was their process. And there was all this stuff all over the floor. And he comes to me and he hands me this squeegee, a long squeegee on a stick. And he says, now, I'm going to take this hose and I'm going to spray. And what you got to do is take this squeegee and push all this stuff into the drain. And I'm like, okay. And so he starts spraying this and it's all over me. and I'm getting all wet and I'm squeegeeing this. And all the stuff gets down in the drain, but then the drain won't drain because there's all the stuff in there. And he says, now reach down in there with your hand and pull that stuff up out of there. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> and highway to hell is blaring on the, on the speakers. And I'm thinking, I'm on the highway to hell right now. I can see the gates. It's in front of me. And the next day, I, didn't, I, I went in there and quit. <laughs> so I can't, this isn't the job for me. So how many of you, while I was describing that, you were living there with me? Okay, because I'm talking about it in present tense. But is it currently happening? Am I currently a Mexican restaurant employee? No, I'm not. When Paul describes in Romans 7 what it was like I can't do the things that I want to do and I'm a, I'm a slave to sin, it's evident he's not talking about the present because he just spent an entire chapter talking about how he's not enslaved to sin. He even uses that same terminology. And then the trouble is that we put all these chapter breaks in the Bible and so people don't read the next two verses of Romans 8. So, so Romans 7, he says, Who will free me from the body of this death? In Romans 8, 2, he says, Thanks be to God. And he says, The spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So am I enslaved to sin? No. So he's talking about what it was like being a Jewish believer under the law, or excuse me, a Jewish Pharisee under the law before he was a Christian, and how, how stressful that was. Because as a Jewish Pharisee, he knew what the right thing to do was. Because the law told him. But he was incapable of doing it because he wasn't, empowered on the inside by the Holy Spirit because he didn't know Jesus. But then he knew Jesus, and thank God, now he's not perfect, but he can make progress. Everybody say progress. progress. So Romans 7 is not about Christians. Now, it can be about a Christian if you're talking about a person that doesn't know who they are in Christ and is still trying to live under the law. So I didn't, nobody ever told me my sin nature was dead when I was a young believer, and I read the law, and people said, well, you're under the law, and so I got a, 
got to do all these things and you can feel powerless. It's really stressful because you're trying to do it through the effort of your flesh and it doesn't work. But if you'll quit believing that and believe that you're a new creation in Christ, you can walk free from things and, and hallelujah. The other objection that people have is uh, people say, well, don't you need to die daily? Somebody said, are you into dying daily? And I said, well, it depends on what you mean. Paul said, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, but that's actually a pretty poor translation. If you look at some of the newer translations, he says, I face death every day. And that's in the context what he's talking about. The next verse is how he fought the beasts at Ephesus or something like that. I don't know that he's necessarily fighting lions or something at Ephesus. I think that what he's talking about is that there's persecution. And Paul faced a lot of persecution. People hated Paul, if you didn't notice. He was, a, he was a strong personality. He, he, he wasn't quite as diplomatic as somebody like me, all right? He, he, he uh, went around and told people what, the, what was up, and they didn't like him for it. He said, you killed Jesus. And anyway, uh, so he faced death every day. He was not saying, I'm daily trying to kill my sin nature. But didn't, didn't Jesus say we have to take up our cross daily? Well, he did say that. But what he's saying there is that you, you need to be willing to crucify your reputation. He's talking about denying self. He's, he's saying, look, if you, if you follow me, there's a cost to it. What's the cost? You can lose relationships. You can, you can potentially, I mean, you know, God will bless you, but you, you might have to give up some worldly job where you where you can't make as much money or something. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not a, a dummy. I could have a job where I made a lot more money than, than here. Right? And so, so you, you, can make, you, know, you can make sacrifices. It's fine to make sacrifices for Jesus. But he's saying, you've got you to deny your reputation. Sometimes Jesus might ask you to do something that makes you look a little bit crazy to people that don't know Jesus. But you just don't worry about that. So I don't believe that you have to keep killing your sin nature. He's not continually being resurrected, and then you're trying to put him down. Amen. Jesus put him down once and for all. The Bible says he died unto sin once. And when he died, you died. Everybody say this with me. I am dead to sin, and I am a new creation. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's, that's principle number one. We've, we've beat that horse to death. So <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 20, principle number two, you are powerful. Ephesians 3, 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. How many of you would like God to do exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask or think? Oh, yeah. How many of you are, I'm, hallelujah. But what's the rest of the verse say? According to the power that works where? In us. In us. What's that mean? It, means? it means God wants to do a lot of things for you and in your life, but He's going to do it primarily through empowering you. You have to cooperate with grace. 
You have to co-labor. Now, now, that doesn't mean that you have to earn something. It doesn't mean that you're trying to, through your flesh, impress God, and in that way He'll pour out something. What it basically means is God is going to empower you to make good decisions. That's really all it's talking about. We typically yield to sin. This is an important principle. We'll yield to sin, bad habits, discouragement, anger, etc. Anybody ever yielded to discouragement for a little bit? I'll raise both my hands. All right. when, do, when do I feel discouraged or when do I yield to that? It's typically when I begin to feel powerless. The, the moment I start to feel powerless, that's when I stop trying to control myself and I stop trying to make good decisions to further the purpose and plan of God in my life. Because after all, what good does it do? Because I, I'm, I can't control anything. I'm powerless. Powerless thinking says, I'm unable to control myself. External factors are controlling me and there's nothing I can do about it. Powerful thinking is the converse. It says, I'm in control of my future and the decisions I make determine my destiny. I may mess up, but I can consistently make good choices that move me towards my goals. Now, look, are there things in life that you can't control? Absolutely. Are there people that sometimes will victimize you and bad things can happen and circumstances can happen? Sure, there's evil people in the world and, and we have great compassion for uh, tragedy and, and negative things and, and sometimes there's injustice in the world. Is, is all that true? And so we're, we're very much aware of that and we want to work to combat injustice and all that. So we're not, we're not denying that truth at all. What we're saying is, what, how, how do I live even though there are all these problems? And the way I live is I proactively focus on the stuff I can control. There's a lot of stuff I can't. I can't fix a whole bunch of problems in the world. And if I focus on all those things, it will drain me of energy. It will discourage me. I mean, if you just sit all day long and watch the news and you listen to all the problems, you're going to feel powerless. Because can you do anything about all that? Not very much, usually. But here's an amazing thing. If you'll do the stuff that, that you have control over, it's amazing what God can do and how He can start a, a ripple effect. Thank you. That <laughs> I need help finding words sometimes. So anyway, things can ripple out, and some of that big picture stuff can change. But it, but it won't change if we just stare at all the problems and we're so stressed out by them that we don't make any kind of proactive decision to, to work towards some positive goal. Look at Romans 6. Romans 6 is... is if you need to get free from sin, this Romans 6 is where to go. Verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. That's just saying what we've said before. Your sin nature really is dead. 
and you're alive unto God. So you're not only just dead to sin, but you're a new creation. It's not, it's not just that I don't want to do the bad stuff. It's that in Christ, I want to do the right thing. Let's all say amen to that. <laughs> I want to do the right thing. How many of you want? Okay. We, now, you might have a part of you that, that you, know, you, know, you might have a thought occasionally or whatever that sometimes, sometimes you know, you're confused about something, but big picture who you really are in Christ. You want to serve Jesus. You want to do the right thing. Verse 12 says this then, Don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That's an amazing verse. That means that if sin is reigning your reigning in your mortal body, then it's in part because we're letting it. It really takes away our excuse. Now, I mean, I, you know, that's kind of stressful because it's like, Ugh. It's easier if we just say, well, it's somebody else's fault or whatever. But, but the truth is, I mean, if, if, if I've got some kind of problem with, with sin or whatever, it's, it's usually in part, my responsibility. I'm, I'm letting the thing happen. And that's the first step towards getting out of stuff. Everybody okay? So we're not criticizing anybody. We, I mean, this, I mean, <laughs> I, I, God knows I've let sin reign in my mortal body sometimes. So, but I realized it was me doing it. The, the devil didn't make me do it. Then it says this, neither yield your members, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. So if you can make a conscious decision to yield to failure, you can also make a conscious decision to move towards victory. What does this teach you? This simple principle. You're powerful. You're powerful. Why are you powerful? Because Jesus died and He made you a new person and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you and you are now... The, God can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. We've seen God do a lot of amazing things in our lives and it's not because we're amazing people, it's not because we never sinned, it's not because we, didn't, we earned something from God. Mostly it's just because we made certain decisions empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many of you'd like to see God heal somebody? Okay, here's what you got to do. You got to make the powerful decision to go pray for them. Can you do that? You can do it. Well, I'm scared to do it. Well, you're powerful. You can overcome the fear and you can do it. We must recognize that if something external to us is controlling us, we're allowing it. Ouch. Even if it doesn't feel that way, we're making a choice to allow it to continue. We can make a different choice and get different results. Grace empowers us to make good choices. That's basically the principle. All right. Now, in a second, I'm going to turn the paper over, and what we're going to do is confront some powerless thinking. But before we do that, I want to give a disclaimer. I have had powerless thinking. I am not attacking anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. We love you, all right? So there's no condemnation. And it's not always pleasant to look at wrong ways that we have thought. 
but it's necessary for growth. So we're going we're gonna to look at different areas about how we might think powerlessly and then what, what the truth is. All right, so look on the back paper here. In the area of finances, a lot of times people will think things like, well, I can't get a raise because my boss won't give me one. That's giving all your power to who? Your boss. Or you might think, well, I can't get a new job because I got a mortgage and I got kids and whatever. And look, those things exert pressure on you. I understand. I got a mortgage. I got three kids. I had two kids, and, I, you know, and I, Molly and I had good jobs in Colorado, and, and, you know, and, the, and we had two kids, and we had a mortgage back here and stuff. And it's, those things can control you, and they can say you can't do what God wants you to do. Is that true? Mm-hmm. But I don't want my finances to control me. Amen. I don't want money to tell me what I can and can't do. Instead, I'm going to say this, I can gain new skills, start new businesses, get a new job, or do whatever is necessary to make the money I need to make. Because I'm powerful. I can make change. In relationships, we tend to be powerless (laughs) in, in marriage. Oh, I'm a victim of my spouse. I can't be happy. Because they're doing blank. I can't be happy because my husband snores too much at night. I can't be happy because, because my wife won't let me play golf enough. You know, I, <laughs> those are pow- th- that's putting control of your happiness in somebody else. You don't want to give your power to somebody else. Now, now look, I, I'll acknowledge... Is it hard? It's a lot easier to be happy if your spouse is nice to you. I mean, for real, you know. So we're not, we're not denying that, but we're saying ultimately it's your, it's your choice. My, my, our son came to us and he's like, he's like, I'm bored. Anybody ever had that? I'm, I'm bored and I'm sad because I'm bored. I'm like, wow, that's a bummer. He wants me to fix it. Entertain me. Make me happy. I say, son, I love you, but I am not in control of your happiness. It's not my responsibility. And and so he told his sister, Eleanor, nobody else can make you happy. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. So what do what power, powerful people say? I can be happy regardless of what choices other people are making around me. Powerless people think no one likes me and I can't make any friends. Well, no, powerful people say I can reach out to people in love and if they don't respond, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. Doesn't matter if everybody doesn't like you. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> Some people feel powerless in their relationship with God. Powerless thinking says, God does whatever He wants anyway, so why should I even pray? Powerful thinking says, I've got a dynamic relationship with God, and miracles happen when I pray. 
I like to pray because prayer changes things. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me and God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think, but it's according to the power working in me, which means I've got to do my part, which really isn't much. Because Jesus did, you know, He did everything. I've just got to respond by, by acting in faith about what He's already done. Thank God, I don't have to forgive my own sins. <laughs> I don't have to earn my salvation. I don't have to earn anybody's healing. I don't have to earn anything. I just, I just you know, pray for people. Amen. That's easy, isn't it? Yeah. Powerless thinking. I don't understand the Bible and church makes me sleepy. I've felt that way before, but <laughs> powerful thinking says, I have access to YouTube and an and endless stream of resources. Yeah. And I can, find, I can find answers to difficult questions. I can get on the internet. I can research stuff. I'm powerful. I can understand my faith. Sometimes we feel powerless around our kids. And I was a high school teacher one time. I, had, I was 22, and I'm supposed to, you're supposed to call all the parents of, your kids, of the kids that are failing. And so I called this parent, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, ma'am, but you know, your son is failing my class, and I try to get him to do his work, and he, he's not failing because he's not smart or something. He just won't, he won't do anything. Like, he won't turn in any of his papers. And I said, I've tried to motivate him different ways, but, he, you know, he's not doing it. Can you, can you do something to get him to turn in his papers? And she said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. And I said, oh. <laughs> so no criticism at all, but you can't control people. I mean, she's, he's 14. She can't, she can't hold his arm and make him, but you know, she could have took away his Xbox or something until he did his paper. There's things you can do. You can influence people. So I can, I can influence my kids. I can't control my kids. But if they live in my house, I can, I can do something. Yep. All right. Now, some people, sometimes we struggle with various lusts like food, sex, or money. And so we look at stuff out there and we're like, well, I can't control myself because there's too much candy at my job. Or the people on TV don't wear enough clothes. Or my neighbors keep buying expensive stuff and I want some. That's, that's real life. Other people can't make you lust for stuff. You're in control of you. This, you know, this is not a good thing that goes on in churches. Like we tell, we, we blame women for men lusting. So, I mean, look, I think it's fine as a woman, you know, in your own heart, not to want to incite lust or whatever, but, but you aren't responsible for what, what some guy's doing. You can cover yourself head to toe and the guy will lust after you. Is that okay? So, so, so now the, it works the other way too. You know, if you're on the beach, ladies, and some shredded guy's there and he's got his shirt off, it's not his fault. <laughs> if, if you're, you know, look away. No, anyway, so... Sometimes I'm at the gym and I see, I'm like, Molly, look at that guy's arms. I'm like, I need to, but anyway, got to watch the covetousness come upon you. You know, you can covet not thy neighbor's biceps, but 
But who's responsible for that? Is it that guy? It's not his fault he's shredded. It's me, right? I got to deal with my own, fault, my own heart. Yeah. All right. So other people, everybody okay? <laughs> other people don't cause me to lust for stuff. I'm in charge of my own desires, and I can direct them as I see fit. Now, this, this is what being powerful means. This is important. If, if you've been born again, you still have desires and dreams. You're not supposed to kill them. You're supposed to channel them towards what God says is healthy and appropriate. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was 14 or something. You're not supposed to kill your dreams and, and call it holiness and your desires. You're supposed to channel them towards the appropriate things. For example, some of you are probably getting hungry by now because you didn't eat a good breakfast. And you're thinking, I'm about to go eat something. I'm going to go eat it. I'm going to go eat a bunch of carbs. And what you need to do is, is channel your hunger towards some, some quinoa. And you've got to say... <laughs> You got to say, Hallelujah, my body likes quinoa. My body loves spinach. I'm holy. You got to direct it. <laughs> no, I mean, you can, you can eat everything in moderation, all right? I mean, all these, all these diets are like, you know, just do whatever works for you, but, but just. Just eat less. I mean, that's really the issue. It's a, it's a mathematic equation if you, if you need to lose weight. I mean, but just eat healthy. You know, now, I mean, eat, you can eat a donut. I mean, I don't, but just anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not, a, I'm not good at, I, I, I have a lot of compassion for people because I, I can, I, you know, I have the genetics. I just eat food, and so it's not, it's not fair. So I understand. So... Anyway, a lot of you know more about all that than me. So anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about that. Okay, here's another one we all identify with. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he put, he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And then he says, now I need you to go and fill the earth. There was only one way that was going to occur, and it was not through asexual reproduction. So he's saying, now you guys have a task, which is to fill the whole earth. So what he's saying is, is you're going to have to have a lot of sex. Yep. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody say, praise Jesus. Praise so so he's, is it bad to want to have sex with somebody? No. It's not. It's you've got to direct it towards the right person. If you're married, it's your spouse. So you, you take all that and you just direct it towards one person. Now, Pastor, what do I do if I'm not married? I think what you want to do is, is view that, view your sexuality as something you want to protect and save for the future person. Because if you squander it by lusting after all these people, then, then you, you know, then you've squandered it. For, now, it's all, forgive yourself, God will redeem it, it's all right. But the, but the point is, it's something precious that I want to direct towards one person. That's a healthy way to think about it. We also have a human desire to build and accumulate wealth and make stuff. 
How many of you like to make money? It's all right to make money. God's not mad. It's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money. What do you do with your, with your desire to make money? You just, you just direct it towards building the kingdom and serving other people. That's all you do. All right. This is really simple. Everybody say this with me. I'm a powerful person. I'm a powerful person. I can make good choices. Last point. If you want the people around you to be powerful and make good choices, how many of you want that? Then you have to give them the freedom to do that, which means they will make choices that you don't like, and they will fail. And you have to control yourself in the midst of their failure. Look at Proverbs 16.32. What does it mean to be powerful? 16.32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. The person that's slow to get angry, that's slow to get outraged about stuff, the, slow, the person that's slow to get upset, that person is really powerful. Yeah. Now, are you powerful in Jesus? So, are you slow to get angry? Yes. yes, you are. We'll say, Pastor, well, no, I'm not. Well, quit, quit, agreeing with, quit agreeing with a lie about yourself and start to believe truth about who you are in Jesus. So, the, the process is not try harder. It's not, oh, resist, resist. I want to kill you, but I'm going to resist. No, it's, it's, it's confess. Who am I? I am not this angry person. Other people's failures do not freak me out. I don't have to be mad at you. He that ruleth his spirit is better than he that takes a city. Somebody that takes a whole city is controlling a whole city of people. You know who's more powerful than that? The person that can control one person, themselves. This is what God does. How many of you know God's omnipotent? Now, a lot of people get confused. They're like, well, if God's omnipotent, that must mean he, he controls everybody. No, it means the exact opposite. It means he's amazing at not controlling anybody. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And He is able to restrain Himself from forcing you to love Him so that you can have the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. Well, we're all blessed. Is everybody okay? So I want you to feel powerful. If you don't feel powerful, get with Jesus. Do you know that this, this is one of the, the strangest things about Jesus that people don't seem to catch immediately is that when people hung out with Jesus, they argued about who was the greatest. They didn't argue about who was the biggest scumbag or who was the biggest failure. And yet in church, most people are arguing about whose who's sin's bigger than... I want to have to come to some of you and say, listen, 
I want to have to come to you because you're saying, well, no, I'm, I'm seeing more people healed than you. And I'm, <laughs> I want to have to come to you and say, listen, it's great that you're both powerful, but real power is when you serve somebody else. That's what Jesus had to do. Everybody started thinking they're so great because they're hanging out with Jesus. And he had to remind them what real greatness was. It's not being puffed up in your head. It's serving other people. Religion will beat you up. But Jesus will build you up. Let's all stand up. My prayer team can come down here. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer in just a second, you can come down. We'd love to agree with you for whatever you need. Because prayer changes things. I'm going to pray for everybody. Then you can come down. Father, we love you. We thank you that we've been made powerful in Christ. Thank you that you love us and that you're helping us to make good decisions. And Lord, if we've made bad ones, I thank you that you forgive us, that you aren't mad at us. Nobody's mad. But Lord, from now on, just, just help, us, help us to consistently make good choices to follow after your plan. And we just thank you for that. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.